0: the book of John, John chapter 10, as we turn to another of Jesus' I Am statements. John chapter 10, and I'd like for us today to look at verses 11 through 18. Verses 11 through 18. And the Word of God reads as follows. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Pray with me as we enter into this time in God's Word. Father, thank you for this blessed truth and this blessed reality that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. All those who find Jesus find one who not only saves but cares for their soul. Everyone who finds Jesus and sees him as he is not only finds one who is able to rescue them out of hell, but one who is able to shepherd them into heaven. Thank you, God, that you are in the business of caring for people, loving them, guiding them, leading them, nurturing them. Providing for them. This is what we experience when we know Jesus in truth. And I pray that you would make that clear to all of us this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man by the name of Polycarp. A man by the name of Polycarp. He was a bishop in the early church. Uh, matter of fact, Polycarp was perhaps one of the last disciples to have a direct relationship uh, with uh, one of the apostles. Uh, and in particular, this bishop of Smyrna was it had a relationship with the apostle John. Um, they were friends, but more than that, John was his discipler. John built him up in the faith, and he became... And was, in fact, you should study more about him when you have time, a great man of God um, who is a portrait to us of steadfastness and faithfulness. Matter of fact, in his life, I would want to point you to the very end of it. This disciple of John, this bishop of Smyrna, was preaching the gospel in a time when that wasn't allowed, in a time where the consequences for being a Christian were severe for proclaiming the good news of Jesus and declaring the salvation that only Christ can offer, there was a bounty out for this bishop's head. They sought to kill this man because he made much of Jesus. Eventually, they find him in a little cottage. He is 86 years old. He is he has lived a life honoring the Lord and preaching the gospel. And they find him there, and when the soldiers come to get him, he's taking a nap. They wake him up, and he's not startled at all. In fact, he rushes down to meet them, and he says, he calls on the cooks and the attendants and says, Why don't you prepare these men a meal, and would you just give me one more hour so that I might pray before you take me in? The soldiers are so amazed by his response that they don't know what to do but to give him that time. A meal is prepared for them. They get to eat. And Polycarp, who said he's going to go to pray for an hour, does so for two. These men see this old man in the end of his life. There's seemingly no reason to have to take him in. He's a good man. He's a kind man. But they have to follow orders. So they take him in front of the Roman proconsul for interrogation on account of his faith. And as he's standing there being asked to renounce his faith, he finds himself in a position where he cannot do so. They ask him to acknowledge Caesar as Lord, but the profession of of Polycarp's life is that Jesus is Lord. And he finds himself unable to do what he's asked. If he wants to spare his life, it seems so simple. Just say, Caesar is Lord. If not, you'll be burned at the stake. If not, we'll bring in all kinds of wild creatures and beasts to torment your body. Just give up on Jesus and give in to Caesar. That's all you have to do, Polycarp. In a moment where Polycarp had a great decision to make, these are the words that came out of his mouth in response to to those seeking to take his life. Eighty-six years I have served Christ, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior who has saved me? Eighty-six years I have served Christ, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior who saved me? At the end of his life, it's as if Polycarp had understood that the Jesus he was soon to see is the Jesus he had walked with all along. As Polycarp comes to the very close of his life, as he's in a moment where at at just a single word from someone who seems to have authority over him, they can end his life. Polycarp comes to terms with the fact that, no, he can't renounce Jesus because Jesus has always cared for him. No, he can't give up on Jesus because Jesus has never given up on him. No, he can't say that he doesn't love Jesus because all his life, for 86 years, he knew the love and care of Jesus. What Polycarp understood is that Jesus is a good shepherd. You would remember with me that last week we had a conversation about Jesus as the door, and that he is. There are seven I am statements in the book of John and all of, this, all of them tell us something about Jesus. And Jesus, as he talks in this shepherding metaphor, is telling us something about himself and he begins that conversation by saying he's the door of the sheep. Anyone who wants to enter into what Jesus offers has to go through him. Some people's Christianity... Is fine with Jesus being a door, just not him being their shepherd. They're okay with Jesus giving them access to God, but they don't desire relationship with God. And what Jesus does for us in John chapter 10 is that he says, you either get all of me or you get none of me. You either accept Jesus For all that he is, or you refuse him, you do not receive what he has to offer. Some are content with Jesus as the door, but that's not good enough. That's not all he is. Some are content with being saved out of hell, but that's not what it looks like to treasure Christ. Some like a get-out-of-jail-free card. But that's not all Jesus is. Jesus is one who walks with his people, lives with his people, cares for his people, loves his people, would do anything for his people. He saves his people. But he also provides for his people. He is with his people. John Owen says it this way. Many will say with confidence that they desire to be with Christ and to behold His glory. But when asked, they can neither give a good reason for for this desire except that it would be better than going to hell. Someone who sees Jesus as just a means of getting out of hell is not experiencing Jesus. And what the good shepherd relates to us is this. If you know Jesus, you stay by Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know that Jesus stays by you. If you know Jesus, you won't be surprised one day by Jesus. When you get to heaven's door and you walk in and you see Jesus' face, that might be new, but the semblance of his person, you've always known. When you get to heaven and you come face to face with Jesus, you might see him for the first time, but you've experienced him for a long time. The good shepherd reminds us that those who go to heaven get there because Jesus has shepherded them all along. This is the good news that we find here in John chapter 10. Jesus is going to remind us in this I am statement that His his saving work finds its root in very present realities. That the future hope we find in the one who is the door is experienced in the present reality that He is the shepherd. That the hope we have of going to heaven can be known in your life because you are one of his sheep today. Being the good shepherd means that he cares and loves us even now. So it isn't that just one day we'll get to meet Jesus. It's that we walk with Jesus until we get to see him face to face. That's the good news of the good shepherd. And I want you to see that This morning, in three particular ways. Number one, I want you to see the person of the shepherd. The person of the shepherd. Number two, the purpose of the shepherd. The purpose of the shepherd. And number three, we'll look at the power of the shepherd. The power of the shepherd. Now, as we enter into John chapter 10, I want to lay out a little groundwork for you, and we'll move quickly through this text because Jesus is speaking very plainly and simply about who he is. But I want to remind you how we got here. Do you remember how we entered into John chapter 10? It's not just that there was a blind man who was made whole. There are religious people who don't like Jesus. And it's not just that these religious people don't like Jesus. These religious people are in charge of all the people of Israel, right? They're supposed to help them in knowing God. They're supposed to help them in loving God. They're supposed to help them in knowing God's word and what would please God. What sacrifices to abide by. What systems to abide by. What commandments to abide by. And so it's helpful for us to understand why Jesus speaks in this way. We mentioned last time, what a weird illustration to use with a bunch of church leaders. Shepherding Sheep? Shepherds? Doors? I mean, you would think they would want to hear about Old Testament and sacrificial systems and what kind of clothing they should wear and what kind of worship they should offer. That would be a good analogy. Why does Jesus go with a shepherd? And I want to help you understand that. The three things I want you to understand about shepherding before we get into the three points of this text. So this is a a little bit of a, a prequel to what we're about to see. Number one, I want you to know that in the Old Testament, God is always viewed as the shepherd of his people. So number one, I need you to understand, God is the shepherd of his people. You see this in Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. You don't have to turn to all these. I'm going to give you a few things that you can use. But in Genesis 48.15, Jacob is praying for his sons. He's blessing them. And in 48.15, he's blessing Joseph. And in doing so, he commissions Joseph under the premise that God will take care of him because God is his shepherd. Jacob views him as shepherd. Not only so, but as we continue through the Old Testament, David views God as a shepherd, doesn't he? We read this morning, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God is the shepherd of David. And in particular, those who know God have always known him to be a shepherd. And so David uses this theme throughout his Psalms. 79, 13, 80, verse 1, 95, verse 7. It is a common theme to think of God as shepherd. Number two, I want you to know that though God is viewed as a shepherd, number two, there are evil shepherds who live among the people. God is a shepherd to his people. God cares for his people. God walks with his people. He provides for his people. He delivers his people. And yet amongst his people are shepherds with no good intentions those who would even allow the destruction of the sheep. For this, you can pen down something like Jeremiah 23 or Zechariah eleven seventeen, 17, where God chastises these evil shepherds for the ways that they mistreat and abuse the people of God. Thirdly, a place where God's goodness as a shepherd and the evil of these wicked shepherds converge can be found in Ezekiel 34. And why don't you turn there? I do want you to see this because thirdly, I want you to see that God promises to send a good shepherd. God is the good shepherd of his people. There are evil shepherds among his people and God promises to send a good shepherd. Ezekiel 34. Look in particular with me Verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, these wicked shepherds. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Shepherds of Israel, who've been feeding yourselves, shouldn't the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Sounds like pretty bad shepherds. So they scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. That's the dire situation God's people are in. Notice with me verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. God is promising to save his people as a shepherd And to send one who will do that work for him. Verse 23. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord God, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This leads us into John chapter 10. God is a shepherd of his people. The leaders of this day and those who seemingly are closest to God have only hurt the sheep. They've set upon them all kinds of rules and expectations that are impossible to meet. Not only that, they've set up rules and expectations that aren't based on God's word. They're just based upon what they desire. What's even worse These guys are only taking care of the sheep because their pockets get filled up with money when they do so. We get rich out of taking care of you. The religious leaders of this day took a good thing and made it a horrible thing. They turned God's worship into good business. And God is fed up with it so much so that God finally fulfills this promise and sends the ultimate shepherd, the one from the line of David who would rescue his people. It's the scene that we're in. And you already know this, don't you? What happened to the blind man when he was healed? He goes back to tell the leaders what happened to him and what does he get in return? He gets kicked out, doesn't he? No longer able to be a part of God's worshiping people. Why? Because he comes in contact with Jesus. This shepherd comes to restore the harm these evil shepherds have done to the sheep. And in this, we find that Jesus is the promised one of God who can rescue his sheep and care for his sheep. What makes Jesus so special and so capable of doing that? Well, let's lead into our text, number one, by looking at the person of the shepherd. Who is this shepherd? Well, Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. Again, when we see those words, I am, we're reminded of Exodus 3.14 the scene of the burning bush, because this is the same way that God introduces himself to Moses. And what hope does Israel have to be saved out of Egypt? I am will save you. I am sent you. I am will do it. And here, Jesus uses the same language. Why? To remind you. And when God speaks, he speaks. When he speaks, you are hearing from God, very God. And now, again, he bridges that with a concept you can understand. I am what? I am the good shepherd. In the Greek, it's actually constructed to say, he is the shepherd, the good one. What he's trying to do is set himself apart. The people have had all kinds of shepherds. What's different about this one is that he's good. And I think we've lost the sense of what the word good means. How's that pizza? That was good. I mean, we don't know what that means. Especially for me, from the East Coast, if you tell me it's good pizza, pizza out in L.A., you're lying to me, bro. I don't believe in good pizza out here. The best I've seen, Little Caesars. Just kidding. It's, there's better than that. But it's good can communicate to me this much. It's not the worst I've ever had. That's sometimes what we mean by it's good. This is good. It's, it's not awful. I mean, it ain't the best, but it's good. That's what we've made it to mean. What does it mean here that Jesus is the good shepherd? Here's what this word means for us in the Greek, It means that he's excellent. It means that he's noble. In fact, it has a connotation to it that means he's lovely or beautiful. He's precious. He's supreme. He's superior. He's the best of the best. Nothing gets better than this. So when you see that word good here, I don't want you to think about it in the same way that you think of a a basketball game or a player or pizza. You need to think about it in the way that it's being communicated by the Bible. And what Scripture is saying is not just that he's an okay shepherd. It's saying he's the best there is. This is of the highest quality. He is excellent in nature. His character doesn't have any flaws in it. If you try to find flaws in it, all you will find is purity and goodness. He is the great shepherd. He is the best shepherd. How can we know that he's a good shepherd? Because that's good to say that you're the good shepherd, but but how can I know that's true? You know yesterday, when we played basketball, I told the boys like watch out because i'm gonna I'm gonna do things you've never seen before." which could be good or bad. And, you know, one, one of the homies came up to try to lock me up, and I said, I told him. I was, hey, I was being honest. I said, you tell me. You, you want me to shoo or, or, or do you want me to, to shake and bake? I'll do it. We're squared up. He wanted the action. I didn't have it. But it's an evidence that sometimes we can say things and not really mean them. We need evidence for the things that we say, don't we? If we're going to declare that something good, then prove it. Show me. How can I know that that's good? You want to know that Jesus is a good shepherd? Keep reading with me. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You want evidence of God's goodness? You have the kind of shepherd that would die for you. You want evidence of God's goodness? He would go to levels of caring for you that you wouldn't even go through yourself. Obviously, there are shepherds that are, are decent, and every shepherd understands the responsibilities they have. We need to feed the sheep. We, we need to make sure the sheep get water. We need to make sure that, that the sheep stay out of danger. And when danger presents itself, we need to protect those sheep. There's a difference between knowing all those things and committing to all those things and seeing those things come about and recognizing the only hope this sheep might have is my life and I'm willing to give it up. If it means the sheep are cared for, I will let my life go for theirs. Anyone who understood shepherding would have seen this as being the highest quality, the highest virtue of a shepherd. Not just that he can find you a place to eat. Not just that he could find you water. Every shepherd's doing that. Not just that he will protect you if a wolf comes around. Shepherds would do that too. But that he would put himself in harm's way even if it meant the expense of his own life. This is what makes Jesus the good shepherd. And if you're reading this, knowing the story, you can see what Jesus means by this, can't you? You know that Jesus doesn't say these words and not live up to them. What makes Jesus the highest, most virtuous, most excellent kind of shepherd isn't just that he says he is, and it's not just that he tells you what a good shepherd might do, Is that he commits to doing it. Why is Jesus so excellent? Because though you put yourself in danger with sin and offenses to God, though you put yourself in a position where your life is at risk, where death is your only option, and where you can do nothing to save yourself, Jesus the good shepherd came down to rid you of those things and protect you from them, and not only so, but to give you life when you couldn't give yourself that life. He came to die in your place even though that's what you deserved. Even though you're the one that put yourself in the predicament that you're in, which is offending a holy God and and deserving to receive his wrath, Jesus came to take that away from you. And I hope you understand when we say Jesus died for you, I'm talking about more than just a bodily experience. People get worked up about thinking of nails driving through his hands and his feet or a thorn of crowns going on his head or a spear going in his side and a bloody and mangled Jesus who is beyond recognition. And those things are true. Here's what's also true. That in dying for you, In three short hours, he took upon himself an eternity of wrath and punishment you deserved. Those who believe in Jesus will never even comprehend what that might look like. They will never understand what that experience is like. Jesus didn't only give of himself up physically, he gave his soul up for you. That's actually how John talks about it. When Jesus gives his life for the sheep, he gives everything. He gave up his body and his spirit. And he bore upon himself the holy and just wrath of God so that if you turn from your sin, look upon him and believe in him, not only do you never have to experience that, But you can also know the care, love, protection, and provision of the shepherd. He desires to save you. He also desires to walk with you. That's what Jesus offers you in laying down his life for you. He expresses this by making a bit of a distinction, doesn't he? He sets up a a contrast between himself and the kind of leaders these people were used to. This is the good shepherd, God's shepherd, saving shepherd, sanctifying shepherd. What were the people like that were leading Israel at this time? Verse 12 tells us, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he doesn't own the sheep. sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. This is the contrast that we find to Jesus. The religious leaders of the day, they don't care about the people, they care about themselves. And you might be thinking, what does that have to do with me? We're in 2024. I don't see a rabbi here. We, we don't, we're not doing any weird, any, any kind of Jewish ritualistic stuff here, so this doesn't seem to apply to me. I can promise you it does. I mean, you're in high school now, and I'm sure that you're already dealing with people who are pressing you as to the gospel and what's true about the gospel and what's true about Jesus. Wait till you get to college. I mean, professor after professor who will antagonize you on the person and work of Jesus. But not only that, they'll try to tell you they can lead you in a better way. And I can guarantee you this, they will lead you in a better way while not caring about you at all. In so long as they can get you to agree with what everyone's yelling about over here, if we can get you to agree with all the crises we've created over here, if we can get you to agree with all the causes that we're crying about over here and talking about over here and get you to not focus on the good shepherd, we'll have one. And whatever happens to you is no matter to us. Friends, I've experienced that in my own life. I've seen as people, especially when I went to college, professor after professor tried to convince me against Jesus and it had nothing to do with what was in it for me. It was just trying to get people to follow a crowd. There's one who cares for you, and he cares for you deeply. Maybe let's put it very simply for you. Many will try to lead you, but who's willing to die for you? Many will try to tell you which way to go, but who's willing to give up their life for yours? Many will try to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Who's willing to show that by loving you to the death? I guarantee you there's only one name that can come to mind when we think on those terms. And it's Jesus. Unlike these hired hands who only care for the sheep because there's a little bit of profit in it. Unlike these who aren't shepherds and don't care for the sheep, and if the sheep are in danger, they'll just run away. Jesus is unlike that. Verse 14, He is the good shepherd. He knows His own, and His own know Him. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, the excellent shepherd, the worthy shepherd. The best of shepherds. Do you know him as your shepherd? The question is not to recognize all these things, go home and recite them. The question is do you experience the loving care of God through Jesus as the shepherd today? Do you know him to be not only the good shepherd, but the good shepherd of your life? Because if you do, he knows you and you know him. So where he goes, you go. When he speaks, you listen. When he protects, you don't fight him on it. You receive him. When he has to clean you up because you've dirtied yourself, you allow it because you recognize this is the one who loves you. This is the person of the shepherd. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Number two, quickly, let's look at his purpose, the purpose of the shepherd. And it begins to make itself known here in verse 14 and 15. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. There seems to be a a unity happening amongst shepherd and sheep, but it's also connected to, related to, and based upon another kind of unity, isn't it? Verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father... And I lay down my life for the sheep. What is it that Jesus is doing by saving and protecting and caring for his sheep? What Jesus is doing is he's gathering a people to himself that will become one. He's gathering a people to himself that become united. And they reflect something not just about what Jesus has done for them, they reflect something about what God has done for all eternity. Verse 15, where the Father and the Son know each other in perfect harmony and perfect unity. It's on the basis of that that verse 16 reads, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. What Jesus is doing here is declaring to us that he has a determination not just to save you, but to bring you into a community of faith where you can see what it's like to live in harmony with others who've experienced the same thing. I hope you know that when God is reach down to save you. He didn't do that so you could go live in isolation. Like God's not cleaning up your life and fixing your life and saving you. And then one day you'll get to heaven and all you see there is you. Number one, that's a weird version of Christianity. And number two, if you're the only person in heaven, I doubt it's heaven. God is saving a people. So, Christianity, then, the good news of the Good Shepherd is not just that he saves individuals, but that truly he saves his people. God cares for us because it's in his essence to care, and he expresses that care by being able to care for you while he also perfectly cares for others. Isn't that a beautiful thing to recognize? And if you're a believer, is that how you think of your salvation? Do you think of God saving you just as a personal thing? Or is it something that's happened to you for the blessing of others? Is it something that's happened to you so that you can recognize that now that you've been saved by God, you also belong to His people? An isolated Christian is a Christian that's in danger. A lone ranger Christian is someone who's put their life in jeopardy. True believers are those whom Jesus is gathering to a flock, one in which he is in charge. He is the shepherd. Jesus' ministry assures the unity of his people. And he brings us all together from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of issues, all different kinds of sins, and he brings us together to unify us so that we would be a blessing to each other and we would recognize we have one shepherd. You all know that I played the saxophone in high school, played it since the fourth grade. Now it's actually still filled with a bunch of whipped cream, but, and that's from Camp Regent. Thank you, guys. Um. But if you're in a band, you know what this looks like. I remember walking into the band room, opening up the little case, taking the saxophone out, setting it up, having to lick the reed, having to put it on, having to practice, trying to tune, everyone's trying to tune, and then in walks in Mr. Band Conductor Guy. That's what I called him, I don't know what his name was. Um, Mr. Band Conductor Guy, and then It's chaotic, right? I mean, if you're in a band and you've ever tried tuning, like, it's wild. Like, someone's playing Careless Whisper, someone's playing Bluey, someone is still trying to figure out how do we play this thing, someone's in there because they're skipping class. There's a lot going on. And finally, the conductor comes in, and when he comes in, he takes a little, and everyone finally goes quiet, and now we all have to play the same note. And as we play the same note, he says, oh, you're a little flat. Oh, you're a little sharp. Oh, let's get everyone to the place where we're actually all sounding the same, where everything's uniform. Friends, that's much like what Jesus is talking about here. All of us come in from a different background, different issues, different sins, different stories, the same Jesus. And so when you come into this church, you don't need to be afraid about any of those things. You don't need to be afraid about how that affects this group. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus and watch as Jesus conforms you into the image of himself alongside other people who are undergoing the same process. The beauty of what Jesus is doing is he's giving each and every single one of us his full attention while shepherding all of us to his image. What a good shepherd. That he's not just working on you, but he's working on everyone who loves him to be more like him. This is the unity that God displays in the gospel. It's what a good shepherd would do. They wouldn't let sheep wander on their own, but they would, he would bring them together and ensure that all of them understand his love and care. No matter what differences you bring into this room, if you love Jesus, then let Jesus make you more like him. And let Jesus do that work in you alongside others undergoing that same transfor- transforming work of the gospel. This is the purpose of what Jesus is doing. Lastly, let's look at the power of the shepherd. The power of the shepherd. And you see it here in verses 17 through 18. This reason, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's make the point as simple as possible. Ultimately, in the narrative of Scripture, and you're even going to read it this way, the the people will turn on Jesus, plot to kill him, and do so. But what Jesus is saying in John 10, especially 17 through 18, no one's going to take Take Jesus down without him allowing it. If anyone's going to harm Jesus, it's because Jesus lets it happen. Jesus has authority over his own life, both to lay it down for you and to take it back up. So under what basis should you trust Jesus? That's great that he's a good shepherd. And that's great that he's working in my life and providing me with people whom I can trust to continue to grow in the image and likeness of Jesus. But on what basis can I trust that he will do this? Because he has authority. It isn't just power, it's privilege. It isn't just ability to do something. It's not just that he has the strength to do it. He has the will to do it. And if he desires to do it, he will. And this is what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? Jesus has given himself up, not because anyone can take his life, but because the will of the Father was that the Son would not be spared so that you might know the love of God, his forgiveness, and his salvation. This is the power of the shepherd. That Jesus suffered and died for us because he desired to, because it was in his will to. Notice that it isn't, this might mess with your brain a little bit, but it's not simply that your sin needs to be atoned for. I get it that you have sin. If you have an unwilling Savior, you will not be saved. I get it that you're messed up, but if someone's not willing to fix that, nothing's going to happen. What Jesus is saying is looking at the situation, I want to. Seeing you in your sin, it's not just that you have sin that needs to be cleaned up, it's not just that you need to be forgiven. It's that I am the good shepherd. I want to forgive, I want to cleanse. I want to heal. I want to protect. I want to care. I want to save. Those who are looking for what basis Jesus has to call himself the good shepherd need to see that he has the power to save, forgive, and to redeem. And that you would have no hope of those things happening in your life if it weren't for the fact that Jesus willingly does so. This is the good news of the good shepherd. It is that Jesus, seeing you in your lowly state, has the power to cleanse you and forgive you. And it is in his will to do so. Friends, your life will be met with various trials, various tribulations, you will undergo all kinds of sorrows and all kinds of antagonism for the sake of Christ. What makes it worth it to get to the end? Well, what makes it worth it is that Jesus is the worthy shepherd, that Jesus wills and promises to save you in the end. And not only so, but that the one who gives you access to God is the same one offering to care for your soul today. Some of you are having a hard time fighting sin. And and I wonder if it's because the shepherd's not walking close to you. Sheep don't clean themselves up. Shepherds do. So if you want to fight sin and you know your shepherd, get close to him and let him care for you. Some of you are in deep sorrow and anguish and wondering where there might be comfort for your soul. Don't wander from the shepherd, but let him comfort you and strengthen you. Some of you are doubting and have all these things in your head saying, there's no possible way you can be saved. Listen to the shepherd's voice. He and he alone speaks truth. What he says is true, is true. And he has promised to be a good shepherd for his people. One who will care and provide and lead all of his sheep to heavenly pastures. This is the good news of the good shepherd. And I pray that you believe it. Let's pray and then we will dismiss. Father, we thank you for this, your word that reminds us that you are the shepherd of the sheep and so those who trust in you have no reason to confide in anything else Jesus is the kind of shepherd who not only will lead us in the direction we should go but he cares about us he he knows us he knows the things that hurt us and disappoint us he knows the things we struggle with he knows what we desire He knows what we need. At every turn, our shepherd knows and loves us. God, make us to love our shepherd. To see how worthy he is, how awesome he is. To see how wondrous he is, how majestic he is. There is no one like Jesus. There is no other way. And there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There is no hope for us if the shepherd that is God did not send us the shepherd, his son. Thank you, God, that in spite of our sin, you have sought to save us. And in so doing, you will care for us every step of the way into glory. I give you praise for these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.